Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, we are um, in week number five of our series called How to Overcome a bad day, and you are in for a treat today. I've got some of my friends to help me out today, and it's going to be awesome. They're going to be sharing some with us in just a minute, and I hope you guys are ready. Powerful day. We already had the 930 service, and it was good, and I know this one's going to be even better. But we're in this series, How to Overcome a Bad Day, because, um, you know, life just deals us those days sometimes. Things come our way. And life deals us a a bad day. Sometimes we make decisions that lead to our own bad days. And then we find ourselves stuck in a place wondering how we can get out. And for whatever reason, we have bad days. We have painful situations. We have wounds that are inflicted upon us, uh, things that happen. And if we're not careful, we can live in those bad days and never get out of them, not realizing the bad day actually ended. We just camped there. And so I just believe it's time for the church, for those who say, I follow Jesus, I'm a son and daughter of God, to begin to rise up out of some of these things, to begin to overcome. Overcoming means that since we have purpose before the bad day came, that even in the middle of the bad day, I still have purpose and I can still accomplish it in the middle of the bad day. I don't have to wait for the bad day to be over to accomplish my purpose. Overcoming means I'm, I'm accomplishing my purpose in the middle of all that. It doesn't end just because I'm experiencing something. So we've been, we've been uh, looking each week of these, this series um, at the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. I think we would all agree the cross that day, the Thursday and the Friday, was the worst day that Jesus had ever gone through. He had been through some bad days, but this was by far the worst. I would say it was the worst day in, the entire, uh, in all of history. Uh, and we know it. We celebrate it as Good Friday, and um, it is good for us because it's the day because of that day, we can have forgiveness of our sins and salvation. But it was not good for Jesus in any way. It was, it was excruciating and terrible and, and far beyond probably anything we could imagine. And uh, Jesus, in his typical style, in the midst of things and trials and problems, was always like kicking it up a notch. So he'd be, he's going through all this stuff, he's dying on the cross, and he's still teaching us some things that if we would be open and willing enough to apply them to our lives, they could be a framework for us to be overcomers the same way Jesus was. So we've based this kind of on on this uh, scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. It's kind of been our theme for this series, and each week we've looked at it in different translations. Today I want to read it from the the Good News Bible is what it's called, and it says this, verse 2, it says, "Look, uh, Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on whom our faith depends from beginning to the end, he did not give up because of the cross. So just because there was opposition, just because there was a wound that he didn't deserve, just because he was going through a bad day, he didn't give up. So we don't have to give up. I know it's, I know it's hard, but we don't have to give up. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. All right. Tell your other neighbor a little more convincingly. Say, I'm not giving up, baby. I'm not Come on, if you're single, add that baby on there. and Trying to help you out. He goes on, he says, On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he's now seated at the right hand of, right side of God's throne. 
You know, that's the original Eye of the Tiger right there, right? Dun, du, 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 you know, right? right? It's the Eye of the Tiger. It was really the, the Eye of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? But it was like he, he, he was determined about getting the reward on the other side. The reward was us. It was being in relationship with you and me. Like, so he didn't care whatever he go through, anything it took to get to us on the other side. Like, he wasn't going to let anything keep it from that. So that's great to know, isn't it? But how does that help us? Like, what, what do we do about that? I'm glad you asked. He tells us in the next scripture. He says, think of what he went through. So look at what everything that Jesus went through and think about those things. Like, look to him. Fix our eyes upon him. Let him be the example of how to overcome. Think about what he went through, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. Why? So that you don't let yourselves become discouraged and give up. So how do we not give up? How do we not get discouraged? We let Jesus be our example. We take the things that he showed us, put them into place in our lives so that we can overcome, so that we won't give up the same way he didn't give up. Come on, somebody. So we've been going through this. If you missed any of the weeks, don't worry about it. We live in the modern world, and you can get on there. All of our services are recorded. You can get on the podcast. You can get on the website and watch the videos. I was talking to a friend of mine this uh, Past week, uh, he was telling me this morning that I, I went and listened to him all again. I got caught up, and it was good. So maybe you need to get a refresher. Take advantage of the technology that's there. Share them with a friend that you know is going through a bad day. I believe it'll be a blessing. First week, we talked about important key. If we're going to overcome, we've got to forgive anyone who's trying to ruin our lives. Come on, we got to choose to forgive. Second week, we talked about that when we get hurt when we go through difficult situations, our natural response is to take care of ourselves, is to keep eyes locked here. But Jesus actually teaches us that if we'll open our eyes and look up and see those around us, we'll realize that there are people going through the same things we are, and we're called to help people who are experiencing the same thing that we're going through. Third week, we kind of talked about a similar idea that when we get hurt, we feel pain, we feel a weight or a struggle. What do we want to transfer that hurt to somebody else. We want to transfer that weight, that pain to somebody else. And so often we end up hurting those who are closest to us. Jesus gives us a different picture to actually care for those who are closest to us in the middle of our, over day, uh, in the, of our bad days so that we can overcome. Last week we talked about this so important to aim our hard questions at God and not man. It's easy to get lost in the questioning, why is this happening to me? All the, all the whys, we can die in the whys, or we can take those whys and place them at the feet of Jesus because we aren't, weren't a carry, designed to carry those weights, but Jesus did so that we wouldn't have to. We talked about that last week. Today, I want to talk about uh, this fifth statement that Jesus makes. It's quite profound if uh, we'll be able to dig into it. It comes from John chapter 19. It starts in verse 28. If you're taking notes today, you can write that reference down. It says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's in the dark. It's been dark for three hours, and he's beginning to recognize he's, uh, that everything he's meant to accomplish is accomplished, and he's, he can recognize in his body things aren't good. He's about to die. He's recognizing that everything is now finished. And he goes on and says, he says, so, and, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. It's the fifth statement that he makes, I'm thirsty. And just looking at it, it doesn't seem that profound just on surface level. But I believe there's a lesson that he's trying to teach us in here because when we go through bad days sometimes, what do we want to do? We want to we show people that we can take it. 
that we can make it, right? If I can take it, I can make it. If I can, like, I, like I got this. I, I, I'm good. I, are you doing all right? Yeah, I, I, I'm good. It was a rough week, but I'm good, right? But so often, we, we, it's really just pride, and we haven't uh, learned this fifth principle is that we need to be human enough to acknowledge our need. If Jesus, the Son of God, who is fully God and fully man, needed some help, I know we're going to need some help too. If, if, if he needed to ask somebody else to help him and he could have called down a legion of angels, then we're going to need to ask for some help too. We're going to need to lower some pride, to, to gain some humility, to, to gain some tool sets there to help us in that process of asking for help. So today I asked my friends Hector and Pastor Justin, to. we're going to tag team this thing this morning and I believe God is going to do something great. So I hope you're taking notes. If you're not, now's a good time to get ready because it's about to go down. You guys ready this morning? Well, first, my friend Hector. Come on, give it up for my friend Hector. I'm so thankful for Hector and his wife, Vivian. They do a great job uh, leading here in the church, and they're awesome people to know. And uh, they lead our Next Steps uh, class. And uh, that's how, if you're wondering, how do I get connected in a church? How do I get plugged in? It's easy just to kind of come and go, but if you really want more of what uh, the, the church can offer, like you need to get plugged in, you need to get connected. That's a great way to get connected, to get to know some people. And they are so great at connecting with people and loving people. So, man, I, I, you guys are ready. Give some love for my man Hector as he brings us the word this morning. Come on. I love you, my friend. Come on. Good morning, church. Morning. Before we get going, I just want to share something with you that happened in the first service. And um, as I was worshiping and, and praising God over there on my own, um, my own little world that also belongs to the Lord. Um, he said that there were some people walking in here today. Some people that were crawling in here today. There were some people that were limping into this place today, but they will walk out of here running, flying, walking in a different spirit in which we came in today. I believe that we are in a season where God is realigning certain things within the church. And Today is no coincidence that you're here. There is no coincidence that you've come here even if you came with a heavy heart. There is no coincidence that you're here today even if you're broken and you fought your brokenness to get to this place. Open your heart to receive the word of the Father this morning in Jesus' name. If we can do something a little different today, if you may stand for the reading of the word, we're going to read out of Ecclesiastes chapters 4. Verses 9 through 12. And the word of God says, Two people are better off than one. For if they can help each other out, succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are better, even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. May have a seat. How would our lives look like if that third person was Jesus Christ in your heart? That everything that we did. That every step that we took, that every decision that has been made was through Jesus. 
That every decision that we are making today will be for Jesus. And any decisions that are going to take place in your future will be guided by Jesus. Gosh. This passage clearly states that we were created in life for relationship, for intimacy, for collaboration with one another. The passage doesn't say that we are to be in isolation. The passage doesn't say that we are to feel loneliness in our hearts. The passage doesn't say that we are to resist the goodness of God in our lives and the help of the people, as Pastor just talked a little bit ago. We are created for relationship, companionship, and fellowship with one another. And before we explore this thing, I want to take us back to the Garden of Eden. Because I believe that we can learn so much from relationships from what happened in that particular place. See, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Now, God does not have a physical body. So it was they reflected the glory of God. They reflected the character of God. But then they sinned. And they came from under God's authority to exercise their own authority. They came from under God's coverage and seek their own. That's why they went in and they put some fig leaves together. Not to cover themselves, but to cover their shame. The Bible says that they were naked and they knew it. They felt no shame. But when they sinned, then shame comes into place and they were seeking to get back on their cover. Right? Because they were exposed. Thus, the relationship that they had with God was broken, and the harmony that they enjoy in their own relationship was also broken. This is how I know that. The woman you gave me made me do this. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail after that, but I can, it, I can pretty much assume it wasn't very good. So the relationship they had with God was broken. They no longer reflected the glory of God or the character of God. They had decided to go on their own way. They had decided to disobey the command, the restriction that God put in the Garden of Eden. The earth was also cursed. And it was cursed because God had given dominion to Adam of everything. So Adam's sin, he's not taking the dominion back. God gives you a gift. You get to keep that gift, my friend. Everything that you need is already in you. When you fail, he's not taking it back. That's just a bonus. Before they sinned, they were under God's protection. They were under God's authority, and they were under God's coverage. But after they sinned, it all went away. Then God comes in and looking for Adam and says, Adam, where are you? And he says, I had fear, so I hid. Because I'm naked. And God met an Adam that was shameful, Adam that was broken. Adam that came from within hiding and exposed himself to the Lord. And by Adam doing that, he allowed God to meet him in a place that was new to him. But it was the place of grace. It was the place of mercy. It was the place where God killed an animal and properly clothed them. That same God is ready, willing, and able to provide that coverage for you today. If you're feeling shameful, God is here. 
If you're feeling uncovered, God is here. If you're feeling that you're being exposed, God is here. If you have come from under the covers of God and you're seeking your own, as Noah was speaking earlier, God is here to make all things new. Today can be a new day for you if you are willing. If you're willing. And I say if you're willing because... A lot of times we accept Jesus as our, as our Savior. We want salvation. We want to be in the heavens. We hate the idea of hell. But do we accept Jesus as our Lord? Are we willing to say, like Noah was speaking this morning, to, to run every decision through him? To seek the wisdom of God in our lives. To say, hey God, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I know you know, and I'm going to trust you every step of the way. See, part of the reason is that we are fighting a spiritual battle with our carnal minds. And the two do not agree. Our carnal minds are against God. They're against just they're against everything godly. Because there was rebellion in the garden and we inherited that same sin. But when we come to Christ in the book of Corinthians says that we have the mind of Christ. And we talk a lot about the renewing of the mind. But how does that really take place? You cannot renew your mind if you're still living with your own self. You got to take on the new self. You have to believe one thing, that you are a son and a daughter of the most high God. And that will change everything. That will change everything. One of the coolest things that I've seen today, and it happened just before I came up to the altar. I saw Bella come up to pastor. And he just gives, gives me this picture of a father and a son or a daughter. And she leaned over. And he hugged her and gave her a kiss. There was comfort. There was love. There was understanding. There was grace. There was honor. And in the same manner that they come into that relationship, God wants us to have that relationship with him. See, I am sure that sometimes not everything goes the way they want in their household. That she doesn't quite behave the way that she suspected. But yet there is love even in the midst of us missing the mark. God is there to meet you in the middle of the situation. You just have to stand in who you are. Not what your mind says you are, not what the world says you are, not in your past, not in in your addictions. The devil tells you you're an alcoholic. The devil tells you that you are no good. The devil is telling you all these crazy things. And you know what God is saying to you? You are my son. You are my daughter. You are in progress. I started a good work in you. I am going to complete it. Come on. Guys. Let's fall in love with Jesus. A lot of times we wonder why there's no breakthrough. It's because we're living in our old nature still. Because we're still thinking like the old man thinks or thought. It is time to make a progress. To make a jump. To find breakthrough. And in this morning, before I close out, I'm going to give you five keys to unlock the power of God in your life. And I want you to write it just like that. Five keys to unlock the power of God in my life. Number one, be human enough to acknowledge 
your need for the mind of Christ. Be human enough to acknowledge your need for the mind of Christ. Seek higher, wider, deeper in the Lord. The battle happens in here. If you start to replace the thoughts of the old nature with the new nature, you're going to see a shift. If you wake up every morning and I said, God, I thank you for the day. This is the day that you have made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. I am putting on the mind of Christ. I am walking out my faith in your power, in your strength. Number two, be human enough to acknowledge your need. For a regenerated heart. The Bible says that David had a heart after God's own. It can be the same for you and me. The nature of the old heart is corrupted in essence. But the new heart. The Bible says that he has written his law in it. It's a heart that has been turned to God. And not to our own selves and what we seek. And yes... Yes, there is this thing about grace, right? And this is point number three. Be human enough to acknowledge your need for grace and to seek truth. And we talk about grace as the unmerited favor of God. But grace is so much more than that. Grace and truth came together. It made it personal. The law was given to Moses just like I I can hand this iPad to Pastor Justin. But see, but grace and truth came and it was in your face. It made it personal. The Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. See, truth in itself does not set you free. You can know all the scripture and quote all the scripture you want. But when you know the truth and who is the truth? Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you get to know Jesus, things begin to shift. Things begin to change. Number four, be human enough to recognize your need for coverage. Adam and Eve came from under the cover of God. Jesus came in to provide that coverage back to us. Are we operating under Adam and Eve's curse or under the blessing of the grace of God, under the blessing of the salvation that he has provided, under the blessing of the redemption that he has provided for you? Number five, be human enough to acknowledge your need of a heavenly father. The Bible says in the book of Hosea that God's people, hear me out, God's people perish for lack of knowledge. For lack of knowledge. If you understand who you are in Christ, you will not perish. And who are you? You are chosen people. You are holy nation. You are God's special possession. You are free. You have been forgiven. You are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You are a son and a daughter of the most high God. Will you receive it today? Amen. Come on, on, let's give God some praise. Thank you, Jesus. I told you we're about to get to preach on in the house this morning. It's good. Well, Pastor Justin is coming. He's uh, an awesome guy. Man, we can give him some love. That's good. I love Pastor Justin. He's uh, been serving faithfully here at the church for about three years or so. And uh, leading in our our worship. They do a great job. I'm so thankful for your leadership in that. And if you need a good workout partner, it's not me. But we wear the same shirt size. I'm going to tell myself that. 
We might not, but helps me sleep at night. Well, Pastor Justin, give us the word today. Come on. Amen. Well, I'm honored to be here. I love you guys so much. Um, I'm going to try to land this thing relatively quickly because uh, I want to save a little time at the end for an opportunity to respond. Um, I think so often we, we hear answers, we get written answers, or we, we go to Scripture and we find something that applies to our situation or life, but we don't take the time to respond uh, and, and make a shift, make a move, and allow God to, to seal what, what he's doing in our hearts. Um, so you know, I was really just praying through this and just uh, the word pride, you know, just kept coming back to me. And that's probably just because uh, it's something that I honestly struggle with a lot of my life. Um, I like my own opinion a lot. I don't know about any of you guys, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just the way it is. I don't know. It's the way the Lord made me. So uh, I want to read a couple scriptures real quick, but what was interesting is I, I, I started going to the Bible, and I started looking for scriptures that dealt with pride, and what I found is so many of them that dealt with pride also dealt with wisdom and how pride affects wisdom, or I should say the lack of pride, or pride can hinder the ability to have wisdom, right? So uh, Proverbs 13.10 says, wisdom opens your heart to receive wise counsel. But pride closes your ears to advice and gives birth only to quarrels and strife. Next one, Proverbs 11.2. It says, when you act with presumption, convince that you're right. Don't be surprised if you fall flat on your face. Like the fall is coming, all right? Don't be surprised. It says, but when you walk in humility, it helps you make wise decisions. So it's so interesting to me how it ties pride and the lack of pride or humility in with your ability to understand or have wisdom. And in the more I really thought about this, I naturally started thinking about Solomon because he wrote most of the Proverbs, right? And in Proverbs 4, verse 7, he says, uh, above all else, get wisdom. Like if you got to sell everything to buy wisdom, do it. It's worth it. So he's saying wisdom is one of the most important things that you need in your life. But if you have a prideful heart or your pride is ruling in, in, in the throne of your heart, wisdom is going to be a very difficult thing for you to get, right? Uh, there's a really cool story in the Old Testament. Uh, it happens in First Chronicles uh, where David is wanting to build a permanent physical temple to house the presence of God. Up until this point, they primarily had had temporary temples that they would kind of build. They were like tents kind of. Uh, and, and at this point, this is kind of the part of the story where David, they go and they recapture the Ark of the Covenant from their enemies, which is the physical, tangible presence of God at that time here on the earth. And it was like a, it was a, a serious deal because like even if anyone were to touch the Ark of the Covenant and you weren't like one of the anointed priests, you would just like keel over dead. Like that was it. Like game over. The presence was just chilling on that thing, right? And, and so... Just before this in the story, David brings the ark back into the city, right? And this is the part where David's, like, dancing through the streets, you know, like, all undignified, like, you know, getting it. I don't know. I'm sure he was just going after it. And one of Saul, who was the king at the time, his daughter, um, I believe her name was Michael. I don't know if I said that right. I'm pretty sure it's Michael, but I don't know. Back then, I guess it was a girl's name. Or I said it wrong. Either way, we're going to move on. And she saw, she saw David dancing, and and she looked at it as, as if it was something that was beneath the dignity of a king. And it was in that moment that God cursed her and she he shut her womb for the rest of her life because she didn't value the things of God. There was essentially a high cost to her low enthusiasm when it came to the things of God, right? So, so David comes back. He's excited. Now, this is David. He is the man after God's own heart. He is the warrior. 
In Acts 2, it even describes David as a prophet, right? So we know that David is a man that understands the presence of God. He knows the voice of God. But when it came to building the temple, David couldn't get any sort of message from God. He was trying to get some direction. He was, he was trying to get a little guidance, and he just couldn't hear, um, couldn't hear the voice of the Lord. So he goes to the prophet Nathan. And initially, Nathan just says, well, you know, it's probably a good thing to plan on doing because God probably wouldn't be mad if you built a temple. So just, like, go, go for it. Um, he didn't necessarily have a word. But later that night, the story says that uh, the Lord had given a word to Nathan to give to David. And that word was, was, you are not the one to build the temple. So you can imagine, I mean, I can imagine how David would feel in that moment. Like, you're just like, I'm trying to embark on this epic mission to build this unbelievable temple to house the presence of the living God. And then God's like, no, you're not the one. And, and instead of being resentful or prideful, the scripture says David actually prays a prayer of blessing towards God and thanks him. Because through this transaction, he realizes that it would be his son Solomon that would build the temple. And instead of being upset that David couldn't be the one to do it, he all of a sudden gave a prayer of blessing because he was honored because in that moment, he realized that the hand of God and that God's blessing was still over his house, over his family. And it talks about how David would even work with Solomon in regards to how to run the kingdom, how to save, how to be wise, how to make good decisions. But what's interesting about the story is, is that it had nothing to do with David's spirituality or lack of spirituality when it came to not being able to hear the voice of God. It has everything to do with the nature of God. And, and when he speaks, he wants to strengthen the individual, but also wants to strengthen our dependence on him, dependence on each other. So I think so often God has a message for you, but it's not getting to you because you don't like the messenger that it's coming through. Have you ever been there? Like, I'm telling you, God will use your children to give you a word. And if you're not ready to receive or you're not willing to hear, man, God, that's what so many of us, when pride reigns in our hearts, pride, this is the reality. Pride is a posture. Humility is a posture. Pride says, I am positioning myself for a fight, my way or the highway. Humility says, I'm going to fight for position so that no matter where the word's coming from, I'm ready for it. I don't, care, I don't care if the word from God comes from my worst enemy. I don't care if it comes from my children, my grandparents. It doesn't matter. And I'll tell you for me personally, that was my mom. And I hated that because I was just, I never wanted to listen to my mom when I was a teenager. And I'm telling you what, God would just, he would always, I, this is real life. I would do something that I shouldn't have been doing, and I'd be getting away with it. We'd be good to go, and I was real good at putting the mask on, you know, and playing church and all that, and this happened multiple times in my life. God would literally give my mom a vision when she slept, and she would confront me, and I'd just be like, no, that's crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. You're having some weird dreams, but on the inside, I was just like, come on, God. Like, you're going to, like, rat me out to my mom? Like, tell my friend to then tell me, like, just anyone but my mom. But it was in those moments, it was so hard to, like, take it. But it was also God reminding, hey, I'm watching you. I have good plans for you. Like, I want to get a message to you, but I need you to soften your heart, open up your heart. Because I got something I want to give you. But if you're not a place you're willing to receive it, you're going to just keep walking past the word of God for your life. You're not going to realize that it's just specifically for you just because of the person that is coming through. What's amazing is you go on and, you know, complete the story. Solomon, uh, when he ultimately would take over the kingdom, God said, you can have anything you want, right? Anything you want. What's one thing you want? And Solomon, instead of choosing something that could have been self-serving, like, like the largest army or all the money or, you know, whatever, 
he had the, the people of his kingdom in mind. He said, I want wisdom to be able to go out and come in among my people. He said, I need wisdom. I need godly direction to know how to lead my people. So his heart was so for the heart, hearts of his people that ultimately that led him to deciding and asking for wisdom. And, and the Bible tells us that that is a pure, it's a sign of humility that he was willing to say, hey, I don't know how to do this well on my own. So God, I need your wisdom for the sake of my people. You know what's cool about that is it created this kingdom, it created this culture that drew in nations, that drew in wealth. There's a story where the queen of Sheba, uh, she comes to visit Solomon. And it says she had heard of Solomon and his leadership and his kingdom. She didn't come to Israel to, to hear about Solomon's God. She came to Israel to hear about Solomon, to meet Solomon, to ask, says she came to ask him difficult questions. And what's so interesting is throughout this whole story, it wasn't because Solomon was so amazing, but it was she, she was able to talk to Solomon, ask him difficult questions. He answered her questions with wisdom. She, and then it says he, she saw the, the beauty of his kingdom from top to the bottom. She said the way his servants interacted, the way that the people were, were making food. Like there's the most re, just kind of absurd examples of all these minuscule tasks. But it was, it was the culmination of this culture, this kingdom that was developed and led through wisdom. And it says at that point, she says, wow, look at what God has done. How amazing the one true God, your God, must be. See, it was the reality of his wisdom and his humility to ask for that that created a culture, created a kingdom that someone was drawn to. She didn't even come for his God, but she left knowing his God. It's an incredible thing that happens. It's an incredible thing that happens. There's a verse in 1 Philippians I want to read that, that kind of illuminates to this. It says, it's 1 Philippians, uh, Philippians 1, 27 and 20. It says, whatever happens, no matter what, whatever happens, Keep living your lives based on the reality of the gospel of Christ, which reveals him to others. And I think way too often we do this thing with Christianity and with our life and this life following Jesus where it's like, oh, I want to like tell my friends about Jesus, but like I don't really like, I don't want to like intrude. I don't know what, like what to say. And like, I don't, I don't know. And I just, it's so interesting, these verses that say, hey, just keep living your life based on the reality of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel of Christ? Rooted in humility. Jesus in the garden, not my will, but your will. The most incredible display of humility, which gave us the gospel. It says, live your lives based on that reality, which reveals him to others. You got to stop worrying so much about the words that you're supposed to say to people and just start living in the humility of the gospel and let your life do the talking. And I'm talking about God is trying to reveal himself to others through the way you treat them, through the way you love them. And then it goes on to say, it says, and then you will never be shaken or intimidated by the opposition that rises up against us. It says, for your courage will only prove as a sure sign from God of their coming destruction. Like, come on, you want to make the devil shut up, slam it in his face? So you're like, no, no, today I choose humility. Today I choose humility, and I'm not doing this in my own strength. I'm not doing this my way. I'm choosing humility. I'm going to die to my pride, and then I'm going to let the gospel of Christ reign in my life as evidence and proof of your destruction because you can't do anything. You're already lost. Sometimes we just need to remind the enemy first thing in the morning, like, no, no, I choose humility today. Today I choose humility, and that's a daily decision. Today's humility doesn't come from yesterday's humility. It's a daily decision. You have to do it daily. And I just want to leave a little bit of space at the end of this for someone to respond. 
Because I grew up my whole life thinking that the altars were where all the messed up people went. And so I like always had this kind of apprehension. I never wanted to go down. And then I realized that the Bible is pretty clear what an altar is. An altar has nothing to do with your behavior or, or your failures. The altar is a symbol of your willingness to make a physical shift, to move somewhere, to do something. In the Bible times, they would often build altars. It was a physical display of saying, I'm going to move myself out of my current situation, and I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to meet God. Because so often, God is saying, I got something for you. I got a message for you. But pride, if you let your pride reign, and it's only going to come the way you want it, and that message is never going to get to you. See, God's got words for people. He's got love to pour out on people. But your pride has allowed you, has stifled you. It's cutting you off. And I want to just open up this altar because an altar is the most human thing that we can do when approaching God. Saying, I'm going to move out of my physical space. I don't care who sees me. See, pride, pride, I can promise you this one thing. God wants to meet you here, but the enemy wants nothing more than you to get caught up in your thoughts, caught up in your pride, caught up in your emotions. Say, you don't need to go down there. You can figure it out on your own. You know, you can, you can do this at home. Figure it out. Biggest breakthroughs I ever had in my life were when I was willing to step out in humility, not caring at all what anyone might think of me. Because I said, even if there's a 0.01% chance that my breakthrough is down there at that altar, I'm going. I need that. I need that. I need that more in my life than I need the comfort of my pride and the comfort of my opinions. So can we just all stand across this place today? And man, if that's something that God's just speaking to you, will you meet me down here? I'm like the first one. Because like I said, I like my opinion a lot. But see, the beauty of what God wants to do in these moments through our family is he wants us to strengthen our dependence on him as we strengthen our dependence on each other. Because this is, this is even more about you personally finding something. This is about the family of God coming together, praying for each other, lifting each other up, laying hands on each other. So Father, in this moment, we just let go of pride. Pride.